for you. In the coming weeks, we'll be looking at that uh, along with other uh, tales of the vine in our coming uh, weeks this, uh, this month in January. What an amazing uh, year 2011 was. God poured out his blessing, really, more he lavished his blessing and grace upon us as a congregation. Doesn't mean there were diff- weren't difficulties, not only as a church, but as individuals. But we recognize that God has truly blessed us in, in amazing ways. So what's in store for 2012? Reflecting on a new year when Mother Teresa was just a young nun, she made a promise in her journal that she lived her life based on this promise, and it was this. I will withhold nothing. I will withhold nothing. I was watching uh, football uh, last night, uh, and on the telecast, they said several times about an individual player that uh, gives 110%. Um, Nobody ever said athletes were smart. And uh, there's no such thing as 110%, by the way, uh, you know, when it comes to effort. Uh, but uh, there was this sense that um, this game and uh, this player was so committed to doing everything he possibly could do to win the game that he was going to leave nothing uh, out. He was going to leave everything he had on the field. I will withhold nothing. Now, let's be honest. That's a game. You know what? In the big scheme of things, except for the you know, millionaires playing the game, it just doesn't matter. But when you talk about I will withhold nothing in context of our spiritual lives, the lives that God has given us to live in 2012, and we all have equally, Um, 365 days or uh, minus whatever we're into now, we have equal amount of days to make something happen in our world. Well, I want that to be my theme. And I invite you to join me in making that your theme for your lives personally, but mostly for your lives spiritually, for your lives in the context of, of your church. I will withhold nothing. Today we begin a brand new series uh, entitled The Tales of the Vine. And Jesus was uh, an absolutely amazing communicator and motivator. I don't know if you realize this, but Jesus talked very little about doctrine and theology. He left all that up to uh, Peter, Paul, and James. Not Peter, Paul, and Mary, but Peter, Paul, and James. Some of you people I can see in your heads going like this, you know. Um, but but he spoke uh, in ways that people could understand what he was saying. He communicated eternal truths through everyday experiences, but always in the context of a relationship. Throughout his ministry, he was always talking about three primary relationships. The relationship that he had with his father, the relationship that he had with his disciples, which includes us, and the relationship that the disciples had with other disciples and with the world. Those are the three primary relationships he talked about in everything he said and everything he did. And he communicated these things 
uh, by painting word pictures. Worried about, you want a, worried, a worry-free life? He said, well, consider the birds of the air. Uh, they don't worry about what they wear or where they live, but they just live and they live abundantly. Somebody says, well, I wonder how much faith I need to get into the kingdom of God. Jesus said, well, I'll tell you how much faith you need. Get ready. Um, you need the faith the size of a mustard seed. The tiniest seed in the universe, you know. In other words, you don't have to bring a lot to this thing. God says, I've done it all for you. But you connect to me through that small faith, that believing faith, and I'll change your life. He said, how much of you should, uh, do I require? Jesus often said to his disciples when they said, what do you want me to give? And Jesus always gave the same answer. He didn't say 110%, but he said 100% every time. I want you to give me everything. I want your heart, your soul, your mind, your spirit. I want you all because, because I want you to start experiencing now what you'll experience in eternity, eternal life. You can start experiencing that right now. And so, and he used some very, very difficult ways of saying that. People, one of the people that wanted to be his disciple said, well, first I've got, I've got to go and, and bury my father. He said, no, don't do that. You come now. Well, first I've got to go and say goodbye to my, my family and my friends. No, no, no. If you want to follow me, you follow me now and you follow me completely. So Jesus used these word pictures that were amazing. And then when people would ask him, well, how do we affect the world for you, Lord Jesus? He said, well, I want you to be salt. I want you to flavor the people and the situations you live in. I want you to be salt and I want you to be light. I want you to bring light and illumination into every relationship and every place you go. So he used all of these amazing words to show us the kind of relationship that he wanted to have with us. But when it came to those big three, relationship to the Father, relationship to Jesus, and relationship to each other, he used one primary uh, imagery, uh, image that was just amazing and breathtaking. It was the image of the vine and the vine dresser and the branches. Now, this was a very common thing. All throughout Israel, you saw vineyards everywhere. People understood it. They knew it. And when he was pointing to the vineyard, he was pointing to a vision that he had for their lives to live remarkable lives, not just ordinary lives, but to live remarkable lives. And in the next four weeks, I want to lay out for you uh, the vision of our church. And and I want to do that through the lens of the scriptures, because it's not just a matter of what our leadership thinks. It's a matter of what we believe God is leading us to. And and that takes us right through John 15. So I want to lay out for you the vision of Hope Covenant Church. How can we make uh, an impact in our community? How can we see many lives transformed for the kingdom of God? How, how do we do that? And Jesus' clear answer was through this image of Father is the vine dresser, Jesus is the vine, and you and I are the branches. So let's, let's pray as we begin. Father, I just would um, ask you right now to come into this place and move among us. Lord, there are many here today who are have given their lives to you. And there are some probably who have not yet decided that that's the life they want. But Lord, I would ask you to come and move among us and stir in our hearts something, something great, a hunger 
desire, uh, a commitment, perhaps, to uh, say to you, uh, I will withhold nothing. I will withhold nothing. And so, Father, I pray that as we open your word today, that you would open our hearts to receive this. Make our hearts receptive, just like soil that has been tilled and weeded and watered. Make our lives receptive to this word, to this gospel. Thank you, Father, for your love and for your truth. And I pray that you would uh, speak to us uh, in a very personal way this morning. May the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So this imagery of uh, the vine and the branch is one of the most common throughout Scripture. Very common in the Old Testament, but it was uh, taken to a new level in the New Testament. In fact, 217 times from Genesis to Revelation, this imagery is talked about. It's a symbol of God's relationship with his people. It's a symbol of how that we as the branch can be vitally linked or vitally connected to the vine. And when we are vitally connected to the vine, we receive our life force from the vine. You cut a branch off from the vine, you know what happens. Within a day, it looks sickly. Uh, Within two days, it's simply dead. There is no life coming into that branch, branch except through the vine. And Jesus defines this relationship that we have with him as that life-giving, that life-changing, that life-transforming, that life-flowing interdependence upon Jesus. But this was not just a Jesus gospel thing. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, there's the imagery of the vine and the vineyard. And it always seems to represent the children of Israel. Now, that, that's not surprising because in the New Testament, the children of Israel, God's chosen people, are not those who are circumcised, right? But those who are circumcised of the heart. It's not those who have a lineage of going back 6,000 years to uh, Moses, but those of us who by faith have been grafted, right, into the body of Christ. We are spiritual Jews in that sense. We are God's chosen people. But in the Old Testament, there is the sense that we, uh, the Israelites, that God is our protector. He is our king. In Isaiah 5, 7, it says, Israel is the vineyard of the Lord. So this imagery, it was about cultivating, watching over, protecting Israel. God was the gardener. And we read in Isaiah 27, 2 and 3, these words. In that day, sing about the fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, will watch over it, watering it carefully. Isn't that beautiful? I, the Lord, will watch over it, watering it carefully. Day and night, I will watch so that no one can harm it. You get the sense that God is um, brooding, watching, kind of uh, looking over all of the vineyard, all of Israel, uh, correcting them to be sure. That's what pruning is all about. Um, Encouraging them, nourishing them, 
this, this overarching truth that God watches over us. That He cares for us deeply. That He, he, he cares about our, our growth and our health. This imagery that nothing can separate His love, His watching care from us. I will never leave you nor forsake you, He said. The image is that the the vine is inexorably linked to the branches. Now this was so important to uh, the Hebrew people that um, on the Ark of the Covenant there was a uh, kind of a symbol of a vine and branches. On the entrance to the Holy of Holies, the place that only the high priest that was sinless, at least at that moment, could go in once a year to make a sacrifice for all of the sins that weren't covered during the year, that there was uh, this, this symbol in gold inlay of the vine and the branches. In other words, there was even this symbolism that to get to God, you go through this imagery of the vine and the branches. There is the presence of God. Vines were all over Israel. And all over Israel, they were reminded constantly of the value and the potential of a good vineyard. So Jesus understood all this. He was uh, raised in uh, you know, a Hebrew home and went to the temple. Uh, sometimes when his parents didn't know it, right? When he was 12 years old. And uh, so he was hanging out at the temple. He knew it. He read the Torah. He knew all what the Bible said about it. And so into that, into that situation, into that history... Jesus spoke these words in John 15, 1 through 8. I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. In, the, uh, in the, um, some of the older translations, the word there is abide. As the, the idea of the word remain, abide, it's the same word. It means to dwell in. To dwell in Jesus. To dwell in the branch. So he goes on. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. It doesn't say might produce much fruit. Will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Isn't that beautiful? So the theme of this, the point of this, is really two things. One is about remaining or abiding in the vine. That's you and I remaining or abiding in Jesus. And the other theme of this, and you see it over and over and over again, is about productivity. That if you are remaining, abiding in Jesus, guess what? You will produce fruit. It doesn't say you might produce fruit, but it says you will produce fruit. If you are in the vine, you will produce fruit. Verse 2, produce fruit. Verse 2, produce even more. 
Verse 4, produce fruit. Verse 5, produce much fruit. Verse 8, you produce much fruit. You are my true disciples. Productivity. And that productivity begins with this relationship that Jesus spoke of so often and that we can experience as well. That relationship between the Father, between Jesus, and between us, the branches. Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the grapevine. We are the branches. So I want to look at that relationship in the context, first of all, of our partnership with the Father. Say, we have a partnership with the Father? Absolutely. John 15, 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. God the Father is the gardener. Now, the vine, as you would expect, those of you that are wine connoisseurs or you have uh, looked in or owned or seen or been at a vineyard, uh, the vine is absolutely dependent upon the vine dresser. Uh, this gardener, this vine dresser, is skilled, educated, passionate, attends to the stalk when the, the stalk is first growing from the ground before it bears any fruit. In fact, it takes up to three years for this vine to grow anything. For three years, the vine dresser is ministering to, weeding, growing, helping uh, this vine grow, and nothing is brought forth for at least about three years. So you guard it from animal and pests. There's pruning. There's hand-tying young canes to the trellis. There's weeding. There's cutting sucker branches. There's spraying of copper and sulfur. Um, there, there's retying of shoots as they grow. More weeding, spraying, 365 days. It's just a lot of work. And the ground has to be perfect. So the vineyard keeper also has to uh, make the ground fertile before it ever receives the grape seeds. This root system has to be cared for. Water, not too much water, not too little. There has to be uh, all of this for an optimum harvest. I had um, uh, uh, an uncle, a great uncle. Uh, he, he was in the Air Force in uh, World War II. But Uncle Tony. And he lived in San Diego in a very nice area of San Diego called Mount Helix. And he had this big home and this beautiful backyard. And the whole backyard was filled with rose bushes. I don't know how many. Hundreds, right, honey? It was just unbelievably beautiful. And you walk out there, and of course, uh, Sherry, we're just newly married. She walks out and she says, oh, honey, we should do this. <laughs> yeah, right. That's going to happen. Uh, so, and I'll tell you why it's not going to happen. Uncle Tony, that was his full-time job. He was out there eight, ten hours a day, every day. Now, the reason it looks so spectacular is he cared for it beautifully. He cared for it passionately, with love. And that's what a vine dresser does to the vineyard. Now, here's the good news for you and for me. God is our gardener. He watches over you. He convicts you, sometimes prunes you, weeds you, right? He cultivates you. He encourages you. He blesses you. He desires to bring the best out in you. The ramifications are many for us. He watches over you. He never makes a mistake with you. There's no oops when it comes to his gardening of your life. He knows everything about you. He makes no mistakes. He knows your heart. He knows your desires. He knows your weaknesses. 
He knows everything about you. One of the great passages in Scripture that shows this intimate relationship of God the gardener and you and I is Psalm 139. I want to read you a few verses from Psalm 139 from the New Living Translation. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Isn't that beautiful? There's, a, um, there's an intimacy there. Almost, when I read it, almost kind of a, a blushing intimacy. Almost like, you, you know my every thought? You know when I'm sitting on the couch watching football? You know when I'm at the office? You, you, you know when I'm out driving in the car? God knows you so well and loves you so deeply. He cares for you. Now this, this recognition that God is brooding over us and watching out for us and caring for us is such an important part of this uh, Tales of the Vine. But there's another part that's just as powerful, and it is this, that God wants to give you uh, a relationship with His Son, Jesus. Jesus is the true vine. Listen to what it says in verse 1. I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. So this relationship is defined now. The Father is watching over the vineyard. Jesus is the vine, deeply rooted, and we as the branches come forth from the vine. Now, those of you that were here on Christmas Day, I, I preached a sermon called The Merry Miracle, and it was, it was a Christmas sermon, but really a, a, a life sermon, because the Merry Miracle was this, that the seed of God was planted in Mary, which is kind of cool. That's not happened before, right? And that seed grew in Mary, became a baby. That seed that grew in Mary came out of baby, Jesus. And that which came out of Mary changed the world around her. That's the Mary miracle. And so what I, I, I talked about that on Christmas Day, that, that spiritually we've all experienced that. Because the seed of Christ was planted in me when I gave my heart to Jesus, back when I was 16 years old. And that seed has been growing in me. Christ has been growing in me. And when Christ comes out of my life through the way I live my life, it changes the world around me. That merry miracle is happening to us today. And that's what we see here. The more you are connected to the vine and you receive your life force and your sustenance and your energy and everything else from the vine, the more you are connected to that vine, that's when you start bearing fruit. That's when you start living as exactly as God wants you to live, as the vine. When you have that, that energy and that life and that beauty. Now, when Jesus said, I am the true grapevine, he literally means, if you were looking in the original language in Greek, I am 
the, let me get this right. I am the vine, comma, the true one. Okay, that's what, in literal translation, I am the vine, comma, the true one. Now, and the word there, true, true one, means literally the difference is between something that is true and something that appears to be true. Okay, so that's the context of what Jesus said. Um, I am the one that is really true as compared to those things which appear to be true. Now, many things promise a full life. Many things promise a great, happy, significant life. But few things produce it, right? Um, uh, I love my mother and father-in-law. My parents have been gone. My mom died in 2007, my dad in 1983. So mom and dad are my parents. And they, most of you know, by the way, they said hi. We spent the week with them last week. They're over in California, in San Diego. And I love my dad. Dad, if you're listening to this message online, uh, I love you. Okay, so I turned it off for about 45 seconds. Um, so my dad is, uh, you know, he's the kind of guy that would drive uh, 20 miles if he heard that a gas station was selling gas for one cent per gallon cheaper because he'd get a deal. Right. And so uh, so he loves to watch the uh, besides uh, Fox News. He watches uh, this uh, these stations, these infomercials. And they're selling you this thing, this new thing, this invention that you can't live without. In fact, how did you ever live your life fully without this thing? You know, the Ronco thing, you know, the, the old Bassomatic, you know, from the Saturday Night Live days. And, 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 and so he listens to, these, you know, this knife set, you know, it'll cut steel, you know. It'll cut tomatoes, of course, but it'll cut steel. And so my dad listens to this and he says, you know what, I think this particular one is probably true. Now, the other 25 things that I ordered... Uh, weren't. But this one, this really seems right. And so he gets it. And then after he uses it a few ways, this is the exact phrase he always says when I ask him, well, how's that, that, that Ronco thing working out? He said, it's a piece of junk. <laughs> Every time, it's the same thing. It's a piece of junk. Okay, it's a piece of junk. And so I said, well, Dad, next time you're listening to the information, you might want to remember that. Oh, I, I know, I know. Until the next time. So, so, but but, but, but here's, here's the deal. The world promises a lot of things that's true. They promise a lot of things that will deliver. Uh, radical pursuit of career. If you do that, you will be fulfilled and satisfied. Is that it? Another person, a relationship. If I get that person, if I marry that person, or if, if that person is in my life, that will really do it for me. That will completely satisfy me. Or, or religion, or, or sports, or money, or prestige, and any of those things. They promise to deliver all of those things, but... At the end of the day, none of them do. But Jesus, the true vine, the true one, Jesus is the only one that delivers. I am the true one. I am the real deal. Now, the Jews thought that they were the true vine, and in some ways they were. They were God's chosen people. But, but they thought that they were the true vine because of their religion or their prestige, their education, their wealth or their lineage, that they could trace their lineage back to Abraham. So that's how, why they thought they were the true vine. Yet God is only interested in, remember, relationship. A relationship. Not religion, not ritual, but a relationship. Twelve times in the text that we read, John 15, 1 to 8, twelve times in that text, it says, abide in me or remain in me. Twelve times. 
abide in me. Yeah, but uh, pastor, if I, if I just had a, another thousand dollars a month, then I, um, I know, you know, I, I, I believe that that will deliver on the promise to have a really successful, good life. And Jesus' response to that is the same thing. That's not going to do it. I mean, go ahead if you want to pursue that. It's not going to do it, but, but abide in me. If you, if you want the answer to that lack of money at the end of every month, abide in me. Well, things aren't going well in my marriage. In fact, my marriage is, is broken, and, and I just I, I, I don't know that I can survive without, another, without a husband or a wife that really loves me and cares for me. And Jesus speaks into that situation the same way. Um, you're missing the point. It's not about the marriage. Abide in me. I am the vine. I am the true vine. I am the true one. I am the one who will be your husband, who will be your wife. Abide in me. We always kind of want to do our thing and then invite God into it. Uh, We were reflecting. Friday night we had the staff over to our house for dinner and we sat out around the fire pit and it was wonderful and and, uh, just talked and and one of the things that uh, Brian and Michelle remembered is that on the way home from the hospital, uh, when Drew was born, I think two days after he was born, uh, they brought him by the church and Sherry and I met him and we kind of pre-dedicated him. It's kind of like pre-warm heating an oven. Uh, we, we pre-dedicated him. They said, we don't even want to go home until this child is dedicated to the Lord. And of course, then when he was a little bit older, they had a dedication in front of you, but but this idea that, um, that everything is to be part of Jesus and Jesus is to be part of everything. But we tend to kind of categorize, right? We, well, at, at birth, of course, we want to baptize or dedicate. That's good. Then when a child gets older, we want to baptize him. That, we bring God into that. When you get married, bring God into that. Maybe not at the church. Like when I was growing up, the weddings were always in the church. Now they're at some resort that costs $40,000, which is a whole other situation. Don't ask me. And, uh, and, and so, and you, but bring, bring God into the marriage, right? God bless us, please. You know, we, we promise you some things, but we really want you to bless us. And then we want God, of course, to be in our, in our funeral. You know, that's important because we want, you know, so it's kind of like we invite God when we're, you know, when we're hatched, when we're matched and when we're dispatched. You know, we want you know, God, you know, come, come into my life during those critical times. But Jesus is saying, I am the vine. You are the branches. You don't cut the branch off for a few years while you go off and do your own thing. It dies. I am the vine. You are the branches. You stay, you stay interconnected to me. You stay uh, absolutely enmeshed in my life. You stay where the source of your life is Jesus in you. Colossians 127, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You stay so connected to me that, yeah, you'll come into financial problems. Yes, you'll have relationship problems, but abide in me. Abide in me. We find that Jesus wants to be in every part of us. Not 75% 75% or 80%, but 100%. I've uh, been, uh, years ago, I went to Israel. Some of you have been there. And one of the things that I always wanted to see was the Western Wall. You know, that last remnant of the temple that was destroyed. And, uh, of course, the Western Wall, you all know that. You've seen pictures of it if you haven't been there. There are literally millions of pieces of paper shoved into the cracks all over the Western Wall. And, and what are those pieces of paper? Anybody want to say their prayers, absolutely. Their prayers. God help me. 
God, help my children. God, come to get come as the Messiah. All kinds of prayers, mostly from Jewish people, but other people can put stuff in there, too. And 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 I always think of that. And I always think that uh, that that's wonderful. That's wonderful. But Jesus doesn't want a piece of paper in a crack. He wants you. Every part of you, your energy, your life, your thinking, you're lying down, you're waking up, Deuteronomy 6. Everything you do, everything you think, everything you say, He desperately wants you. Jesus is the true vine. And then we know from that original text, fifteen uh, one, that the believers are the branches. You and I are the branches. John 15.5 says, Yes, I am, the, I am the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. To be vitally linked to Jesus, to receive his energy and his power. Remember Mother Teresa said, I will withhold nothing. She also said in another uh, one of her journals, she said that we are the wires and Jesus is the current. We need to stay connected to him. If we're severed from Jesus, we die spiritually. Every breath, every heartbeat is from Jesus. Not going out on a date with Jesus or tipping our hat in acknowledgement that we know him when he walks by, but living his life through our life. Um, I I know this isn't going to be very fun to mention, but uh, all of us have gone through different kinds of tragedy in life, some big, some small, but all of us have experienced some kind of great sadness or tragedy. And I want to say this, and I want to say it tenderly, that tragedy is one of, one of the best things that can happen to us. I'll tell you what it gives us. It gives us focus, right? You've all been there. It gives us focus. The things that don't matter kind of fall by the wayside. I remember laying on our couch in Denver, Colorado, uh, a couple of days after Tyler died, and thinking, man, what, what, what is life really about? I, I didn't care about, at the time, John Elway and the Broncos, which the day before had been very important to me. And I didn't really care about anybody at church. I didn't really care about any. I, what, what is life really about? See, God wants us to know that without staying vitally connected to the vine, the branches simply wither and die. So here we understand our partnership. God is the gardener. Jesus is the true vine. And we are the branches. But what is our purpose? It's good to know that we're the branches. Okay, we've got life from Jesus. That's good to know. What is our purpose? God has created us to bear fruit. Now, if you have any doubt of that, uh, read the New Testament, but especially read John 15. Uh, The purpose that you have in life is to bear fruit. Now, it doesn't mean, it's not a simple thing to understand what that means. So don't think that you, you know quite yet. Let's, let's get into the text a little bit. But God has created you and me to bear fruit. I mean, if we're going to be a branch, man, the only reason we're hanging out is to bear fruit, right? And we bear fruit when we're light, vitally linked to Jesus. Again, John fifteen five. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me, receiving that life force, right? And I in them will produce much fruit. Now, that's, that's a sentence. That's just the truth there. If you're abiding in Jesus and you're receiving your life from him, 
and you're connected to him, you're abiding in him, you're remaining in him, you're dwelling in him, uh, you're going to bear fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Trying to bear fruit. Now, you can bear other things. You can bear kids and you can have a job and you can have money. You can do a lot of things, but we're talking about bearing fruit. And so it begs the question, what is that fruit? And we'll talk about that in a minute. Fruit is the natural outgrowth of abiding in Jesus. If you, we are abiding, we are producing. John fifteen eight says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Okay, he puts those right together. Produce fruit, you're my disciples. Bear fruit, I mean, be connected to me, you're going to bear fruit. All of those are always connected. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Great glory to my Father. You see, the seed of life planted in us, Mary Miracle, remember? Grows and naturally produces life. Now, here's something. You guys are going to be, feel really smart when you go home today. You can just say this to somebody else. Uh, guess what I learned at church today? Living things produce living things. Isn't that smart? It's really smart. You know, uh, dead things never produce living things. That's one of the reasons that evolution has a hard time kind of really making everybody believe in it. Because evolution says that sometimes, someplace, life just started. Well, you know, live things don't come from dead things. It just doesn't happen. So, so, so living things produce living things. The Bible says be fruitful and multiply. Many of you have done that. Not everybody's parents, but many people are parents. Um, you have a seed from a tomato, you plant it, and a tomato will grow. Isn't that amazing? You get an acorn from an oak tree, an oak tree will grow. That's why, quite honestly, Twinkies don't produce Twinkies. Because um, they've never been alive. <laughs> Everything in a Twinkie is dead. Uh, it still tastes good. But, but, so, but, but, but it won't produce itself. If you're alive, if Christ is alive in you, life will come forth from you. And, Mary Miracle, change the world around you. Our purpose is to produce. So if our purpose is to produce, what is our produce? Okay. What is grapes? What is the fruit? Well, there's two parts to this. We could go. This could be a great sermon series in itself. And maybe someday we'll do that. But just briefly, I want to share with you two parts to this produce that we're to produce. The first is the internal fruit of the spirit of God. Now, you know, this passage from Galatians five. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, that's the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in us when we are vitally linked to Jesus. Okay? It's pretty clear. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. It's a great passage. The internal fruit inside of us, when we're connected to the vine, you will become, over time, more loving if you're connected to the vine. You will become more joy-filled. You will become more peace-giving and peace-affirming. You will, over time, become gentler. And all of these internal fruits of the Spirit... One of the things that you need to ask yourself at the end of the year, as Sherry and I do some of this, we talk through this. During 2011, did I become more joy-filled? 
In other words, it was the fruit of the Spirit really bearing fruit in my life. Over the course of 2011, uh, did I become more uh, desirous of peace in my life and in the lives of people I know? And you can ask those questions because this is a, a natural thing that spills out of you when you are connected to the vine. It's not something you have to work at. I mean, nobody goes, you know, like this. Okay, I'm going to bear fruit. You know, and then you really try. Yeah, that's not the way it works. You know, if you're connected to the vine, you just bear fruit. You know, you don't try and squeeze out a grape. That just doesn't happen. So, so you, you, you bear fruit just by being connected to the vine. Not by being something good or doing something well or being spiritual. You don't, that's not how it works. You're connected to the vine. Then you will be uh, fruitful. Beverly Sills, the great operatic singer, says, somebody asked her, how does she sing so beautifully? She says, well, I am so filled with music and so filled with the joy and the power of the song and the message that it just kind of fills up my lungs and my heart and my soul and every part of me and then it just spills out of me. Well, that's what that's what Christians ought to be when it comes to the internal fruit of the Spirit. Are you becoming more joy-filled every day? Are you becoming more peace-oriented every day? Are you becoming more loving? Every, that's the sign that you are connected to the Spirit of God. But that's the internal fruit of the Spirit. There's also then the external fruit of eternal life. Paul says, I can't wait to get to Rome so that I can bear some fruit among you. Now, he's not talking about the joy and peace stuff. That's good. That's something that comes out of your life naturally. But he's talking about people coming to faith in Christ. Now, every every time, and this happened uh, over Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, um, to the the best count I could make, uh, those two, Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day, 18 people raised their hands that prayed to receive Christ. Now, when that happened, now, a part of that has nothing to do with me, by the way. That has to do with the Spirit of God, number one, and with you, <laughs> because you are the ones who watered and some of you weeded and some of you invited them to come with me to church. And, uh, and, 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 and so God is doing that and bearing fruit. When I say that bearing the external fruit of everlasting life where people are coming to Christ, that doesn't mean that you're necessarily leading them to Christ, although many of you do. And it's wonderful when you do do that. But you're having a part. You're partnering with God in making the fertile soil and the weeding done and the watering so that someone is able to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Luke 15:10 says, In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Sherry always has this vision. And uh, it probably sounds weird to you, but that's okay. It's her vision. It's not yours. She has this vision that when um, there's a call to come to Christ, that she sees our son Tyler and who else? My mom and, and, and kind of leaning over heaven and saying, yes, come on, say yes to God. You can do this, you know, and just kind of cheering on and, 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 and doing that. So people, if they're just not sure if they want to receive Christ and just kind of cheer, that's kind of a real vision of Luke 15, 10. There's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So what will God do through you in 2012? Uh, You may not all be evangelists to where you lead people to Christ, but all of you have a purpose. And that purpose is to bear witness to the truth and the love of Christ in your life. To let that fruit of the Spirit, the internal fruit of the Spirit, 
flow out so that others around you can see that, so that you're salt and light in the world, and they can say, I want that, and come to faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to John chapter 4. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. Is there any way to misunderstand that? The external fruit of the Spirit is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? Brothers and sisters in Christ, as we begin this new year and this new series, I just want to encourage you to recognize your partnership with the Father in making a difference in this world. God's plan A for redeeming the world is you and me. That's his plan A. And the rest of the church of Jesus Christ in the world. That's his plan. His plan is not for you to make a lot of money or to do a lot of great things. Nothing wrong with those things. But his plan for you is to bear fruit, to make disciples. That's his mega strategy for all of us, to make disciples, to bear fruit. The only way you can do that, the only way you can consider that, is to have your life absolutely inexorably connected, just totally enmeshed in the life of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Would you bow your heads with me, please?